Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. It is Thursday, May 12th, which means later on today, USDA will be releasing their World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. We discussed what's expected yesterday with Arlen Suderman on the show. And tomorrow, Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing will join us. We'll review those numbers that come out later from the USDA. In the meantime, today, we're going to talk soy transportation. Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition will join me in just a minute with a supply chain update. And then Emerson Sprick, a labor policy analyst with the Bipartisan Policy Center in D.C., will join us. We're going to talk about the wage inflation, the prices rising for employees that has been climbing for the past year. That is going to be a good conversation with Emerson here in segment two. And then in segment three, we're going to turn our focus back to the cattle market. Leah Biondo, the government affairs expert with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, will be joining the show to talk about what has developed since they held their Senate and House Ag Committee hearings on the cattle market. And then to close out the show, Rich Giebert, president of the Illinois Farm Bureau, will be joining us. Both Secretary Vilsack and President Biden addressed farmers yesterday from a farm in Kankakee, Illinois. Rich was there. He'll bring us an update as to what those two folks had to say about the troubles facing the ag industry in 2022. But first and foremost, we've got troubles in the supply chain. They've been with us for two years. They persist to this day. One man who keeps a really close eye on this situation is Mike Steenhook. Mike, let's begin with the rail networks. That was the latest uh, kink in the supply chain. Surface Transportation Board held a hearing. How have things changed here over the last two or three weeks for rails? Yeah, there, there's, you know, considerable frustration, you know, and within the, the rail industry. And I guess, you know, one thing that both the railroads and, and rail customers agree on is that service is at suboptimal levels. And it's not where either the rail service providers or the rail customers want it to be. Um, you know, the the we're we're seeing quite unreliable shipments, um, and for agriculture, it can be very consequential. It's not just helping agriculture be profitable, but we're talking about feed making its way to livestock operations. It's 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 the actual soybeans that are making its way to a processor, which will in turn make it turn it into meal. Um, it, and so we're talking about things that deliveries that need to be timely um, and if those those deliveries don't occur it's going to be a real concern and you know and unfortunately you know when you look at the other modes of transportation you know like trucking they're under obviously trucking is much more expensive it's much more a convenient mode of transportation but it is by nature more expensive but they're still struggling with you know things like labor shortages as well so uh, it, there's there's not a lot of alternatives for some of these these rail challenges that we're facing the government the, the surface transportation board had a hearing a number of weeks ago with, in which both rail customers and rail companies uh, provided testimony it clearly is something that has really been elevated as an issue uh, among our nation's consciousness and um, but unfortunately it's causing a lot of heartache uh, throughout the industry it is. It is. This this rail disruption has been frustrating for a lot of folks. And of course, we need those rails to get the products to the ports as well to get them shipped out. Mike, looking out down the line, we've got negotiations happening right now with the West Coast Longshoremen's Union. What have you heard? What uh, what is developing out there on the West Coast? Yeah, you know, the the West Coast is governed by the, 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 the dock workers who work on all of our West Coast ports are under one particular union and then the the companies that that service these these port facilities are negotiated by one particular organization and the contract between the two is is uh, expires on July first. And so now they're in the initial stages of having some discussions about uh, renewing this contract. What's concerning for um, our our broader economy is that every time in the past where there's been a contract up for negotiation, there has been some degree of work slowdown or stoppage as a way to kind of help elevate you know the the dock workers' negotiating posture. 
uh, vis-a-vis the port operators. And there's a real concern that that's going to happen this time. Um, we've, I've recently you know, seen some notices that there is some optimism that that will not occur. Um, we're obviously, we'll, we'll, see, we'll wait and see on that. Um, but I, I do think there's a, a pretty big recognition, including within the administration, the Biden administration, that we have enough supply chain challenges today. The last thing we need is a slowdown to any extent along our West Coast, um, which will really add insult to injury. And so I, I, we're hopeful that people recognize that, um, that we, we get a contract renewed and, and, and accepted, and we're not compounding the problem by any unnecessarily self-inflicted uh, work slowdowns or stoppages. And now with all of that being the case, these longshoremen typically spend the majority of their work on container type vessels. Mike, do you anticipate there being much spillover to bulk commodity type exports from the West Coast as this goes on? Yeah, I mean, there's the, the, the labor union actually has separate negotiations with the bulk terminals that service like bulk agricultural products like soybeans and corn and wheat and those kind of things. So that's not something that's up for negotiation at this particular point. So this, this current negotiation that's on the horizon, it really impacts the containerized shipping um, you know, goods that come in and out of, out of this country. And, you know, there is a, a notable amount of soybeans and DDGs and other things like that that do are transported via containers via the West Coast. So it would impact any stop slowdown would impact those particular exports, which would be very untimely uh, for those products. But the, the bulk shipments, uh, that's something that would is not going to be impacted by uh, this current negotiation. Mike, I want to talk trucking in a little more detail. We've seen the price of diesel continue to skyrocket today. Yet another record high average retail price, 555 and three quarters for diesel. Are you starting to see soy transportation slow down domestically as these truckers are confronting these high diesel prices? Yeah, it's well, it, it's just a, another expense that's added into the supply chain. And you know, there's obviously a lot of upward pressure on on wages. Uh, in order to attract and retain drivers, there's this persistent truck driver shortage that you know, preceded the, the the pandemic, but it's only become more pronounced subsequent to the pandemic. But then when you add fuel costs going up, it's just another cost inserted into you know, our supply chain. You know, the good news is that there is healthy demand for what farmers are have produced and will produce this year. Um, prices are obviously you know, strong at the moment. But, you know, we always have to keep in mind that agriculture is an industry that operates on a pretty small profit margin. And the way we make money is by having that small profit margin and then multiplying it by millions and billions of bushels. That's how we make our money. And so we're not an industry that can just have unlimited cost escalations, whether it's fuel or any other things within the supply chain. They will start to squeeze. They will have an impact. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And folks, stick with us. We'll talk about that higher labor cost in order to retrain employees with Emerson Sprick when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. 
Farmer's log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. I guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA Today. You know, we have been talking, talking, talking about inflation, inflation, inflation. And as prices continue to rise throughout the broader economy, it's probably going to keep that conversation top of mind for a little while longer. Yesterday on the show, we briefly discussed the release of the inflation data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And there was a webinar event. Actually, it was a Twitter Spaces event that was put on by the Bipartisan Policy Center in Washington. In D.C., it was moderated by Emerson Sprick, the policy analyst focused on the labor side of the economy there at the BPC. Emerson joins us today. Emerson, thank you so much for joining the show. And tell us, what all did you guys discuss yesterday in your Twitter Spaces event? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. Uh, I, I think the, the inflation release was really interesting. Everyone kind of expected the core CPI increase of 8.3% from uh, a year ago. And that's, that's slightly less than last month's 8.5% year-over-year increase. But a slight surprise was the growth of core CPI, which excludes food and energy. Um, that core CPI actually accelerated um, which is a surprise because those non-core elements of food and energy have been driving so much of, of the, recent, the, the recent price increases. Yeah, they certainly have. And so, Everson, what was it in that core number that caused the inflation to accelerate so much more than anticipated? Well, what we're seeing is, is uh, significant growth in the price of services. Um, so one of the participants that we had in our discussion was Wendy Edelberg uh, from the Brookings Institution. And she told us that last fall when prices really started to increase, 75% um, of the overall inflation was being driven by goods prices, 
But now that dynamic is completely different. So increases in the three-month inflation rate to April were almost entirely driven by services. So this, this pivot from the goods sector to the services sector um, is a really kind of interesting development. It, it is fascinating to watch and to see the economy adjust in real time to this transition from goods to services spending. Emerson, I want to focus on your area of expertise briefly, which is labor. As this focus towards services is increasing, are service employers seeing their wage levels climb astronomically? Well, it, it's an interesting question because um, another participant, Erica Groshen, mentioned how wages tend to lag prices. And that's, that's part of the reason uh, for the services inflation. Um, I, my guess is that we've seen the bulk of the wage hikes for lower wage workers, but that we might consider to see some steadier wage growth for middle and higher wage workers, um, many of whom just only see wage adjustments once a year during, during annual reviews. That makes sense. So it just takes a little longer for those to get priced into companies' bottom lines as they're making their annual reviews. Is that kind of what you're thinking there, Emerson? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So as you think about the sectors that have seen their, their labor costs climb the fastest over the past three months, has it mainly been in that hospitality sector or are you seeing it spill over into manufacturing in, in other sectors as well? So the, the, the kind of specific sector data, I actually am not super familiar with, but one thing that is clear is that it's service workers in general that have seen the biggest wage increases. Uh, between March 2021 and March 2022, service workers saw wage increases of 8.6%, which actually outpaced inflation. Looking at kind of the wage dynamics overall, um, is, is really interesting because there are so many different ways to look at it. So overall average wages are up 5.5% in the past 12 months. But since prices have risen 8.3%, there's been a net decrease in real wages of 2.8%. Another interesting aspect of this is that generally inflation hurts low-income households the most. Um, but what's interesting is that some research is starting to show that actually the lowest income Americans have been experiencing the biggest real wage gains. So the, the Roosevelt Institute, for instance, found that 56% of all occupations comprising basically uh, the bottom 64% of earners um, saw real mean wage gains between the fall of 2020 and the fall of 2021. Um, some other economists are, are seeing basically the, the same trend, but estimating it a little bit more conservatively, seeing that the bottom 25% of earners are seeing real wage gains. And those real wage gains, I just want to circle back to a point you just made because it, it is staggering to me. Wages on average up 5.5% over the past two years, but purchasing power of the folks with those higher wages is actually down 2.8%. Did I get the numbers right there? That's exactly right. And it's just because the overall prices of, of the basket of goods that, that Americans gener American households generally buy um, is up so drastically. And I I'd love to return a little bit to, to food prices. Food prices is driving so much of this. And just seeing that food price data is always a huge shock to me. Um, food prices have been increasing for 17 straight months now and are, are continuing to increase. They increased about 1% between March and April, and they're up 9.4% year over year. Um, it, it's just that there are so many uh, inputs going into those food prices, labor costs, energy costs, um, as well as kind of geopolitical unrest in, in Ukraine uh, and, and, and other factors, weather and, and poultry diseases right now in the U.S., um, that are causing food prices to just continue to grow up, which go up rather. Um, which is which is causing those wage gains, which are really significant wage gains to, to continue to be more than offset by price increases.
So as you look out, I, I hear from a lot of folks that I speak to around the country that they're, they're excited for things to return to the way they were pre-pandemic. Emerson, as you think about labor costs, these wage gains that have been added here over the past two years, are, are they going to stick around? Have we set a new level? Or as this inflation thing gradually cools down, do you expect those lower income wages to trickle down as well? It's an interesting question and, and one that I cannot confidently answer. On the wage front, my, my guess is that um, we've seen the bulk of, of the wage hikes for, for low-wage workers. And that, uh, sorry, in, in kind of nominal terms, I, I don't think we're going to see widespread pay cuts. That, that just doesn't generally happen. I think there's a chance that there's some reversion to previous wage levels for new job postings, particularly for low-wage jobs, as inflationary pressure eases. Um, but the other thing to consider is that employers are still desperately trying to fill jobs. So, so I just don't see a whole lot of room for wages to decline in the near term. And that brings me to my next question. Last week, we had the May employment situation report from the BLS, and they noted that it labor participation, particularly among young people, had gone down in the last month. Emerson, what does that tell you? Are the kids today just too lazy? <laughs> yeah, it, it was it, it was uh, kind of the, the surprise result from from the employment situation report um, and, and something that a lot of people are thinking about. I can tell you uh, with some certainty that it is it is not just that kids today are lazy. Um, there are there are quite a few factors going into this, uh, and I am certainly not familiar with all of them. But a, a few that stand out to me: um, one is that people are staying in the workforce longer, so older workers aren't retiring and making room for younger workers at the same rates as in the past. And, and that um, you know that that obviously increases young people's unemployment, but it also discourages young people and, and keeps them out of the labor market entirely. Uh, another thing that's interesting is, is that younger workers seem to be spending a lot more time in school. Um, so on, in, in younger ages, summer school is preventing many from taking summer jobs, uh, and increased college and postgraduate attendance is delaying entry into the labor market. The last thing, and this is a bit more nebulous, but I, I think there's a really strong sense of dissatisfaction with workplace dynamics on the part of kind of Gen Z and younger millennials. Um, there's a feeling, I think, that in the past, employers faced a little bit less pressure to deliver outstanding results quarter after quarter and could focus a bit more on long-term success. And, and to a certain extent, that entails treating employees really well. Um, but, but now there are economic changes and due to market changes and social changes, there's a sense that some workers, some employers rather, are treating workers as more expendable, just wringing out the most possible value. Um, and I think that's come to a head and, and that young workers and employers alike are in the very early stages of figuring out how to navigate this idea. All right. It is going to be an interesting summer. I think we can say with confidence, folks, we've been talking to Emerson Sprick, labor policy analyst at the Bipartisan Policy Center. Emerson, thanks for joining us. And folks, stick around. We'll have Leah Biondo when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. We're talking about Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Cenex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel? That's always an option. The wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, we have a ton of data in the market trade here today. Inflation data, of course, is out there as well. The producer price index rose 0.5% month on month in April, matching analyst expectations. The VIX trading near 35 here this morning with the dollar spiking to a fresh 19-year high above 104.7. A lot of that creating headwinds for our commodity markets, but we also have plenty of data there. We got weekly export sales. They were dismal today with marketing year lows for old crop corn, soybeans, and wheat here on the report today. Beef net sales came in at a marketing year high, 28,400 metric tons, with pork net sales at 26,300 metric tons, up 10% from the previous week. You throw on top of that, CONAM numbers out of Brazil, increasing corn production from 115.6 in April to 116.2, with soybean production going up to 123.83 in the month of May. And we saw an export sale to China this morning with a bulk of it for the new crop marketing year. It was a total of 24.1 million bushels of U.S. corn to China overnight. So all that together is all data ahead of the USDA WASDE report out at 11 a.m. Central Time. Let's get a look at a few of our numbers. Markets fairly mixed to lower. July corn down two and a quarter, 786 and a quarter. July beans down 14 and a quarter, 1592 and a half. Bean meal up slightly. Bean oil down moderately. July Chicago wheat four and a half lower, 1108 and a half. July KC wheat three and a quarter lower, 1197 and a quarter. Spring wheat for July, that is down three and three quarters at 1252 and a quarter. May lean hogs down 57, 135. June lime kettle down 130, 132.27. Crude oil down 40 cents a barrel, 105.31. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA now back to Mike Pearson Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. The cattle market has been in the crosshairs of Washington, D.C.'s focus for about two years now. Conversations have been happening at a high level. And here about two weeks ago, both the Senate and the House Ag Committees held hearings on this issue. And they heard from folks from across the value chain in the beef industry. And at both of those events, both the House and the Senate side, U.S. Cattlemen's Association had members testify in front of those House. House committees. Joining me today for an update on those issues is Leah Biondo. She's an executive vice president at the U.S. Cattlemen's Association based in D.C. Leah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Let's talk about those House and Senate hearings. Of course, the Senate hearing happened first. Tell us what was USCA's message to the Senate Ag Committee? Absolutely. So, we did provide a witness for that Senate Agriculture Committee hearing. He uh, is a southeastern cattle feeder out of uh, Mississippi. His main message was that we need action, and we need action right now. As you mentioned, D.C.'s been talking about this for two years now. And, uh, frankly, we're getting to the point here where, where folks just can't hang on anymore. You know, just out today, JVS's profit report, Tyson's profit report, both of them up, up, up. Uh, but cattle producers aren't 
feeling the effects of what these major meat packers are saying is increased beef demand. So how do we restore leverage to the cattle producer? Because without them, there truly is no beef supply chain. So we do need to make sure that they're sustainable. And the best way to make sure that they're sustainable is to make sure that they're profitable, Mike. That's the truth. And when uh, Ricky Ruffin, I believe, was the was the speaker there at the Senate for USCA, was he advocating the action he would like to see? Would that be further movement on that cattle market price discovery and transparency bill? That is the bill that we're pushing. Yes, U.S. Cattlemen's Association is in strong support of the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act of 2022. And what this bill would do is establish for the first time uh, a mandatory minimum of negotiated cash cattle that packers much must purchase. Um, so for the first time ever, we're mandating how packers must purchase their cattle. And we're doing it incrementally, right? So we're, we're looking right now, if the bill were to have been uh, imposed, Iowa, Minnesota, of course, that region uh, would remain at that 50% uh, minimum. They are well above that right now trading. But we're really looking at these places in the southeast, right, where uh, there's been studies forecasted that if we do not take action, by 2026, we'll see the Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico region experience 0% negotiated trade. And 0% negotiated trade is a vertically uh, consolidated industry. So what this bill would do is establish that mandatory minimum at about 12.5% in the Southeast. And of course, that's going to bring um, cattle prices up throughout the country as as the Southeastern cattle get, get more money through the negotiated cash trade. And so we are a huge advocate of this bill, the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. And what we're looking for now after the hearing is for the Senate Agricultural Committee to hold a vote on the bill. And you're plugged into the DC scene. What do you think? Are we going to get a vote soon or, or at all? Leah, what do you what are your sources telling you? That's a great question. And yes, uh, you know, we are on a timeline here. We have elections coming up in November. We have a new Congress starting again in January. With a new Congress means that all of our work on this bill, all of our work over the past two years disappears. So it truly is now or never. We've got up to, I think, 19 or 20 co-sponsors in the Senate on this bill. That's an incredible amount. I haven't seen any support like that probably since I've been in D.C. for anything related to the cattle industry. So um, the vote will likely start with the Senate Agriculture Committee and go over to the House where uh, most Democrats are in support. And since Democrats do control the House right now, we do hope that the bill will pass the House as well. So, again, we're working on a timeline here. We're hoping that the bill is able to move before mandatory price reporting expires September 30th of this year. Yeah, the clock is running. That's for sure. Leah, you mentioned we're getting quarterly profit results from JBS and Tyson, a lot of the other public meat packers here this time of year. Well, they were all at the House Senate or the House Ag Committee hearing uh, two weeks ago. You also had folks testify there. What was your takeaway from the House uh, Ag Committee side of this uh, hearing? Yeah, so the House Agriculture Committee hearing, um, you know, the, the opposition had a very well-spoken producer on the producer panel um, in terms of somebody who markets their cattle through these sweetheart deals with packers. So, of course, that they don't want to see those sweetheart deals go away. And this bill wouldn't do that. Producers would still be more than welcome to pursue those sort of formula trade agreements with the packers. Um, but that that seems to be one of the main oppositions from, from the producer side of things. For the uh, packer CEOs that were on the panel, you know, only one thought the hearing important enough to show up in person, which uh, was highly disappointing. And uh, we hope that the House Agriculture Committee really takes that as a sign that they need to keep pushing this issue because it is a serious issue. You know, if there is collusion in the industry, if there is these anti-competitive practices happening, um, we we deserve to know. And so um, USDA has also been pushing the Department of Justice to issue whatever investigation that they have undergone for the past years to make those results public and to really take action if there's any uh, nefarious practices taking place. 
Leah, I'm glad you brought up that DOJ investigation of the large packers. That has, as you mentioned, been ongoing. We've had a few. They started after the Tyson fire in Holcomb, Kansas. What do you hear? Why haven't we got anything from the DOJ? Are, are they making any progress? Have they released any information on the, the state of these investigations? Yeah, it's been interesting. They're being incredibly tight-lipped about the investigation. You know, this was started under Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, and so um, it's time. It's time for them to either wrap that investigation up and, and issue the results, uh, you know, just so that we know what's going on. We we have heard that they've spoken with uh, a few industry players, but other than that, anyone's guess. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we can get some progress coming out of the DOJ on that front. I wanted to ask you, Leah, on the House side, as you look at the cattle market price discovery and transparency bill, is there yet a companion bill in the House? And how how has the support been on that side of the aisle? Great question. So there is a companion bill introduced in the House. It was introduced by several uh, wonderful Iowa representatives. So we thank them for their work there. But we do need to see more support in the House. It is a bit light. You know, like I said, we've got 20 bipartisan co-sponsors in the Senate. We've got the majority of the Senate Agriculture Committee supporting the bill. But in the House, they need to hear from producers more. So if this is something that's important to you, if restoring competition in the cattle industry is important to you, reach out to your members of Congress. We cannot stress it enough. They can't see you uh, typing away on social media. They need to hear from you in their office. And all you have to do is just dial that capital switchboard number. That's 202-224-3121. I'll say it one more time, 202 224 3121. You call that number, you tell them your zip code, and they will connect you directly to your members of Congress. So um, can't stress it enough. That's where we're at right now. We need to host, hold a vote on this bill, and we need to hear from producers in the countryside um, who want to see some change. Leah, the USCA, of course, has been growing. You've been championing this issue. Tell us, what has the feedback been from the countryside, either from members or from folks curious about joining USCA? Do they like the fact that, that you're pushing so hard on this issue? Oh, yes, great question. So we've seen membership just explode in the past couple of years, and I think it's because of all of the work on this bill. And of course, this sort of policy, this sort of legislation is entirely pushed forward by our producer membership. We are by the producer for the producer. And so um, everything that you see here today is because of the work of our producer volunteer leaders. And um, I'm just so incredibly grateful for their time, energy, commitment, resources to, to getting this pushed forward. I do want to say we are hosting a Washington, D.C. fly-in coming up next month, June 11th through the 14th. Uh, this is our premier annual event where we bring members into the Capitol. And boy, we've got a lot to talk about this year. So you can find all the details on that at uscattlemen.org. Folks, be sure to check that out. That's next month, June 11th to the 14th. Leah, before we let you go, what other issues is USCA working on that you'd like to get in front of producers here as summer gets underway? Of course, of course. So there is the um, market transparency and true price discovery, but we are also working on truth in labeling, and that's both on domestic beef and alternative proteins like the, uh, prote uh, the Petri dish protein or the cell cultured meat products. Uh, we're also trying to inch, uh, increase uh, opportunities for success for our independent processors. So we've brought on a great uh, chairman, Mr. Patrick Robinette, to help us lead that effort. He owns and operates a uh, USDA inspected facility in North Carolina, um, and he's he's uh, working with us to try to build up capacity for these independent regional processors. You know, in a lot of parts of the country, it's uh, you try to get your animals processed and they're a year out or they've got a wait list that you just can't break through. And so how do we um, expand and increase access to these uh, independent regional slaughter facilities? Um, I'd say those are kind of our top three issues right now. That's fantastic, folks. Every head of beef that moves to an independent or regional packer means the large packers have to bid up to grab the rest of those cattle on the show list. We appreciate that work. Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, thanks for joining us today. Of course, great speaking today.
And folks, stay with us. Rich Giebert, president of the Illinois Farm Bureau, will join us after the break. He was there for President Biden and Secretary Vilsack's comments at an Illinois farm yesterday. He'll bring us up to speed on what they said. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Smart stays on the road. That's why it's in your engine. Because you wouldn't settle for subpar performance. Cenex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. These premium oils maintain 80% of their viscosity throughout the drain interval for superior engine performance across extreme temperatures. That horizon looks good with the competition behind you. Cenex Maxtron diesel engine oils. Oil that runs smart. We're speaking with Tom Wood. He's the president and general manager of Belsham. And Tom, how has Tough 5EC performed in trials and in the hands of growers? We've tested in the field at all the major universities in the Corn Belt, Tough, for the last four years, hundreds of trials, and it consistently performs well. And particularly on resistant weeds, it gives uh, growers almost a complete kill. So we've done that. It provides a lot of credibility for the product. You can be certain that Tough will consistently work every time you use it. And beyond that, we did do a, a launch last year. It was more of a soft launch because we got our registration late, but everyone that used it was very happy with the results. And if you look at our website, you'll see a, a lot of testimonials of retailers and growers that have used Tough that have been very happy with its results. Tom, supply chains are on everybody's mind as we head into this growing season. What's the availability of Tough 5EC in 2022? Tough is uh, a proprietary product for us, and we lived through 2021's experience with the supply chain issues that we had in that year. We brought in Tough early, third quarter last year, for all of our anticipated demand for 2022. So we have ample supplies, but not an infinite supply. But we should have enough to satisfy demand for 2022. It's in country, it's in stock at most of your major distributors and retails around the United States. Tom, if growers want more information on Tough 5 ec where can they go to get it? One, they can go to www.belsham.com usa.com or they can reach out to their local retailer and ask for tough folks we've heard from tom wood president and general manager of belsham usa tom thanks for joining us thanks a lot much appreciated 
The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Yesterday, it was nearly 100 degrees in the town of Kankakee, Illinois, when President Biden and Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack touched down to go visit a farm in that area and talk about issues impacting agriculture. Well, Rich Giebert is an Illinois farmer in Randolph County and president of the Illinois Farm Bureau was there. Rich, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It is my pleasure, Mike, to be with you and your listeners out there in Radio Land. Thank you. Well, bring us up to speed. What did President Biden say as he addressed the crowd there on that farm in Kankakee? Well, he, he talked about the importance of farmers and feeding the world and feeding the American consumers. And he really um, uh, gave us a shout out, you might say saying that we do a good job, continue to get the hard work that you do do, and we're here the meaning the president and secretary of agriculture are here to support you and to make a couple announcements uh, yesterday uh, uh, to the group and the audience that was there on the O'Connor farm in Kankakee. So what kind of announcements were they making, Rich? As, he, as he's giving us the shout out, trying to, to raise the, the spirits of American agriculture, did they come with any concrete plans to help? Well, he, he, he rolled out a plan that they're going to spend, uh, administration's going to spend $500 million to improve fertilizer production here in, in, in the United States, knowing how important that is. And with the war in Ukraine and the amount of fertilizer that comes from that part of the world to the American farmer, it's important that we bring production as much as we can uh, back to this country. But at the same time, uh, when I had a few minutes to visit with the president, I appreciated him doing that, the secretary doing that, but uh, said that I hope you give consideration uh, to extend grants and opportunities for uh, retailers out here in the countryside and farmers to add on, um, on more on-farm or retail storage uh, to lay in more product in the off-season and have it available at the farm gate and to streamline the permitting process for these plants to go forward. That's a great point. If we've got the supplies laying ready, all of a sudden the supply chain at critical times matters a little bit less. Rich, what was the president's response when you brought that issue up? Well, he said that they would take a look at it and go from there. So at least we planted the seeds and we'll see what happens uh, going forward. Uh, That's all we can do, get the word out there. Sorry, Rich, I wanted to ask you, he also mentioned something about double cropping, which I know you've got a handle on on your personal farm. What was the announcement with regard to that? Well, he extended a a double cropping insurance opportunities for crop insurance for those that wish to double crop in another 680 counties across the country. And so this provides risk protection for those who want to seek an opportunity uh, to double crop um, uh, soybeans or, or whatever crop uh, behind wheat, uh, and it's worked really well for us in Southern Illinois. Uh, there may be some more challenges for those and more risk than what we take here in Southern Illinois, uh, double cropping soybeans to wheat production in the northern part of Illinois in particular, Iowa, you know, that part of the territory. Absolutely. And I think it's worth noting, and Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this program would apply to crops, winter wheat planted this fall over winter and then a double crop in 2023. Is that right? That's the way I understood it, but uh, we'll know more when more details are are released. You know, they lay out the program, but we'll know uh, the devil's in the details, you might say, when, when we get the printed word, you might say. 
Yep, I think you're exactly right. These things come with a lot of headlines and then the details dribble out for a little while. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Rich, while we've got you on the line, of course, we're talking planting progress largely across the country. Fill us in. In southern Illinois, are you seeing some planters start to roll? Planters are starting to roll uh, yesterday and the day before. It's starting to dry up with this heat. Uh, hopefully we can miss uh, big rains coming this weekend, but the wheat is, is uh, headed out and we're beginning uh, later this week uh, applying fungicide to our wheat crop. A lot of soybeans and corn is going in the ground and there's um, burning to midnight oil, you might say, as farmers <laughs> would say, out here in the countryside. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned that wheat ground down there, and you're located south of St. Louis, not too far off the Mississippi River. That winter wheat ground rich in your neighborhood, is almost all of that going to get double planted this year, weather permitting? Yes, absolutely. Uh, in the river bottoms in particular, the river Mississippi River in particular right now is at flood stage, or a little over flood stage. Hopefully it, it gets back uh, within the banks. Um, and uh, we can open up our drainage locks and, and let the water out and get back to planting the whole crop across all the acres in the river bottoms going forward. Really appreciate it. That's always the goal, Rich. Before we let you go, Illinois Farm Bureau, as you look out to this summer, are there any big proposals you guys are working on? Uh, just Well, we're getting ready for, uh, you know, uh, the Supreme Court wanting, listening and hearing about waters of the U.S. and the challenges there. We're keeping a hand on what the Senate is doing with regard to livestock transparency uh, moving forward. And President Biden did make a comment yesterday, recognize the need for market transparency improvements for livestock producers. And uh, so we'll just stay tuned and continue to work on those um those efforts uh to to uh, make sure that illinois farmers in particular are are heard and the impact of of uh changing modus back uh to what what the 2015 rule and the impacts that it have on not only agriculture but consumers and landowners all across america the impacts would be widely felt as this WOTUS rewrite takes place. Rich Giebert, president of the Illinois Farm Bureau, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and thanks for getting some insight into our president there in Kankakee yesterday. My pleasure, Mike. Have a great day. Thank you. And folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking to, with Jim Sutter of the U.S. Soybean Export Council about the outlook for free trade agreements as this year gets underway. And then Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing will join us. We'll review the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates that will be coming out later on today. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, Remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info.